Welcome to the audio newsletter for the Northwestern Program in Sound Arts and Industries. I'm Brad West. Everyone seemed to have an opinion on the ending of Game of Thrones, but I think we could all agree on one thing. The sound design was pretty spectacular. And you can thank Emmy Award-winning sound designer Paula Fairfield for that. Paula's career also includes TV shows like The Iconic Lost and Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, films from Robert Rodriguez and Darren Aronofsky, and art gallery exhibitions worldwide. She visited Sound Arts and Industries right in the thick of the Game of Thrones finale madness to lead a sound design masterclass for our students. Listen as Paula talks about her approach to sound designing Game of Thrones, advice for collaborating with directors, and using sound to spur animal conservation. First of all, I have no fear of technology. In fact, I'm in awe of it, the things you can make with it, the things you can do. It's our creative space, it's our canvas, our brushes, our paints. It's not that I don't use plugins, but I don't use as many plugins as people think I use. They allow me to add textures and stuff. That's mostly what I'll do is like add textures to things. And sometimes depending on what it is, I mean, I'll go crazy and you know pull out some new plugins and stuff. But the more you process, the more you take it away from its original form, not to say that that's not an interesting thing to do. It just doesn't, I, I, for me, it takes me out of it if I can hear it, you know? For the dragons in particular, I mean, the idea is that I want you to think that they're real, bringing you to the kind of threshold of believability so you're fully immersed. A lot of times people get obsessed with the vocals, but the body is everything. And nestling the vocals in the body is really part of the trick. It's like for the wings, each dragon had its own wing section. And each wing section was made up of two dozen little sounds that I kept moving around. You know, big kind of cloth flaps. There's kind of leather moves for the kind of membrane. Kind of a sound for the thorny things that pass by. There's also a similar sound, but larger for the tail because the tail is full of thorns now. It sounds like the same wing, but they're highly articulated. One of my favorite shots that happens twice is when the dragons fly up above the clouds and they're in that kind of quiet place. And it's so beautiful, it's just quietness. They're away from the crazy for a second and it's just nothing but this light wind and you just hear the wings. Then when we had the, you know, dragon air fight, You know, all that stuff to have its own deal. I mean, it it just became extraordinary complex this year with all the stuff going on. And what's heartbreaking sometimes is 60% of it leaves the building, but it all has to be there so that when they sculpt the mix, they have everything they need. And it turned out that Dan in particular this year loved the wings and kept saying, turn the wings up, turn the wings up. But there's no easy path for that and no quick plug-in at all, you know? So that's the bad news. (laughs) 
you've got music and sound basically occupying the same kind of creative space, right? So it is, I say it's the ultimate battle of fire and ice. And in that battle, usually sound loses, you know, unfortunately. However, occasionally that's not the case. During the death of Viserion, they had a big music cue in which they pulled out. And the thing is, I was ready. All the detail was there. They could have the option. If you go and assume there's music there and it's like, eh, I'll just speed by that, blah, 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 then you've taken that option away from them. And in turn, you won't get the opportunity to have your work shine like that. While it's frustrating sometimes and even disheartening when you realize that so much of the work disappears. I mean, the worst is when you're in a mix and everybody decides to get super arty and drop all the effects and just go with music. You know, a moment of silence. It's like, awesome. That's months of my life. I will never get back. Thank you very much for that <laughs> creative decision. And I kind of knew they would do that, but you can't assume anything. The other thing is just developing survival techniques so your sound lives on. And one of them is being aware of frequencies and slicing stuff into strips, high, mids, lows, so they can shove something through the thick music. If you want your stuff to stick, you've got to acknowledge that that's going to happen and give them things that they can push through, you know. And I remember season five, I believe it was, when Ramin started adding coral, and I was like, oh, shoot me now. because it was like the kind of area that he hadn't dominated and then suddenly, and the thing is, I am one of the greatest fans of Ramin's work. I think his work is absolutely stunning. So I'm honored to work and occupy that space with him, but it's also a big pain in my ass. <laughs> You know, I thought for years some of my thoughts and ideas were weird and like who was who'd want to hear that? That's not what normally people do. But that's what makes you you. That's what makes your voice unique. It's what makes your story unique. And that's what we want to hear. We don't need to hear the homogenized version of everybody's perfect life. We're all asked to kind of tamp it down for the greater world, you know, so we all kind of fit in. That's really unhealthy. You know, I wish, in retrospect, I had discovered this so much earlier in my career. It would have spared me years and years of just struggling with myself. But you know what? Whenever it comes to you, it comes to you, and I'm, I'm grateful that it did. You know, yeah, do I get nervous when I'm working on a new show and ideas or sketches for the first time? Sure. I want them to love it. I hope that they love it. I hope I've done service and paid respect to their ideas, but, you know, I may not nail it the first time. And so I offer them up always as a, you know, group of ideas. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. And it's a process and it's a collaborative thing. So never be afraid to be as weird as you can. Usually it's like, okay, what's the craziest idea? And then I'll offer up the normal stuff plus several layers of crazy and they can take little bits and pieces or sculpt it the way they want. But you can pass judgment on your own thoughts before they even have a, a moment to breathe and kill them right there. And I was doing it constantly, and now I don't. Now I offer them up. And then at that moment, they can say, yeah, that resonates, or no, it doesn't. But it's my job to give them things to think about. You know, and a lot of sound designers do this. It's like, yeah, but this is a great idea. I mean, this is a great sound. And what's wrong with you? You don't get that. Well, it's not your project. It's their voice, their story. 
And if they're not resonating with your work, it's not because they're idiots and they can't hear. It's because you're not hearing them. You're not listening. And your job as a sound designer before you make wacky sounds is to listen to the person you're working with. You know, we are in some ways the holders of a language that nobody really understands. They all want to speak it, but they don't understand the words. So you've got to help them and you've got to listen to what they're saying. And instead of coming at them like, here's the thing I designed for you, don't you love it? Whereas now I say, okay, here's a collection of ideas for you to consider, see what you think. You have to eat your own damn ego, put it in the place that it belongs in this process. Lots of times that ego flares because you're terrified you're not going to have another idea. And the thing is you've got to have confidence in yourself. Yes, you will find other ideas. I call it gracious collaboration in the sense that you're not defensive about the work you're presenting and you're not freaking out that they're going to take something away or not use something. That is a part of sound design. Most of the projects I've ever done, I'm a little bit of a hoarder, so I've got most of the projects I've ever done. I don't know why I'm saving them exactly. I keep thinking, oh, I'll go back and crush those things down and create new libraries and stuff, which I probably will at some point. But then I have a big sound effects library, and the sound effects library alone is close to probably 48 terabytes. So if they ever do a show called Digital Hoarders on HGTV, they can come talk to me first. <laughs> You know, I've been recording and collecting for the duration of my career, which has spanned over 25 years. And, you know, now I look at some of these recordings from many years ago. I mean, they're like historical documents. The recordings of those things were made of things that don't exist anymore. Some of the technology, you know, machinery, stuff like that. If you think about it, at some point, these recordings become an archive of human life. I started working with White Oak Conservatory in Florida, which is a sanctuary for endangered, critically endangered, and extinct in the wild species. And my uncle has a wildlife rehab facility outside of Banff. And in fact, we've been recording this pair of orphan bear cubs that they've been rehabbing. And they build a hibernacular for them to hibernate this winter. And we put a recorder in it, and it was fantastic. <laughs> Unsupervised recording is the best way with animals because when humans are around, you know, it's like, shh, everybody shut up. You know, and as soon as you leave, they're all, you know, chattering amongst themselves. God knows what they're saying about us. I know they hibernated and slept all the time, but they don't. They get up and they have snacks and then they would tussle like they're fighting and then one of the bears sounds like I swear to God sounds like they've opened a bag of potato chips and are just like having an after you know tussle snack and the other guy is like eating some branches off in the other side in stereo it's the funniest thing I was laughing so hard and then another like classic is probably one of the most epic bear farts I have ever heard, followed by this fantastic relief of pleasure. Like, ugh. You know, because that's the thing about animals. There's no pretext. They're not hiding anything. They're not, they don't have shame. They're not embarrassed. They emote, and, and their vocalizations are pure. It's pure emotion, all of it. 
But like as the animals are disappearing, so are their beautiful voices. It's tragic, you know. So a magnificent metaphor is to use a critically endangered species that is literally dying from the planet to give voice to the dying sound of a dragon. What an opportunity, what a beautiful way to talk about what we're doing to this planet. And if you love the dragon, the dragon is not real, but it is made up of voices of real animals that are dying. Working with White Oak, working with Cochrane Ecological Institute in Banff, go to these places, support these places, support the work that these amazing facilities are doing to try to save the things that we are literally destroying every day. So if you care about a dragon falling out of the sky, think about the animal that actually expressed that pain. That animal is actually disappearing from our Earth, and that is the greatest tragedy of all. People are, you know, oh my God, Regal. It's like, yeah, and, and the animals that were in Regal also cry for them too. Sound is so powerful because it operates viscerally, it operates primally, it operates physically, and it operates emotionally. It's also our wild child. It can, it's very hard to contain. It's very hard to harness, and you can't control how it's heard, where it's heard. You know, do they have headphones on? Are they just listening to the shitty speakers on their iPhone? I mean, seriously. But I've been amazed, like, certain sounds still pop on an iPhone. It's incredible. Like, one of the things that I loved was uh, in the Blue Fire. I used these singing quartz crystals, which are very high frequency. I recorded them and then pitched them down. I'm like blown away when you listen to it on a shitty laptop speakers that that sound you can hear so clearly. And you can't hear it as clear in 7-1. You can feel it, kind of. But when you hear it on the laptop speakers, it's like, what? It's just like totally up front and center. It's crazy and it's a very delicate sound. It's nuts, but that's, it's like the wonders of sound, you know? It's very unpredictable sometimes. And that's, that's half the fun. You can learn more about our program through sound.northwestern.edu or by emailing sound at northwestern.edu. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the audio newsletter of Northwestern University's MA program in Sound Arts and Industries. This episode, The Voices of Dragons with Paula Fairfield, was produced by Jason Foley, featuring an interview with Paula Fairfield. Our theme is by Brandon Baker, and our podcast is produced by Brad West. Find us on the podcast app of your choice by searching Northwestern Sound to learn about how sound works at Northwestern. Northwestern.